turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, we are continuing our series on foundational truths, and we're going to begin to look at the subject of who is God, what is God, and uh, begin that. But I wanted to, first of all, We'll look next week, we'll give you notes on who God is, notes I've given to you before, what is his essence, what are some of his attributes, and take a look at that. I have to say, I, I go back to uh, probably 19, uh, maybe 67, 68. I was a freshman in seminary. I'd already graduated from Bible college. I was a major in Bible, theology, pastoral theology. I, I had an accredited degree from a wonderful school. But when I got into seminary, I had to take a class called Theology Proper, Theology 101. And uh, the assignment in the first week was take a three-by-five card and write down on one card, you write down as students, who is God? That's all you got to do. Who is God? And then take another card and write on it, what is God? What is God? I found it's one of the most difficult, easy assignments I ever had to do. That's not a lot of homework. Just, just two cards. And uh, I think I stumbled around I'm not sure what I wrote. I don't think my teacher was impressed. And I was blown away. And if I was to ask you, who is God, and give me your definition and prove it, it you know, definition, it can't be the same as anyone else. Who is our God? Two, what is he? How does he act? What is his will? What are his characteristics? Benjamin Warfield, the great theological teacher and prince of uh, theologians at Princeton in the early days when Princeton believed the Bible, he used to sit in chapel for the freshman student sermons, and he listened to them preach, and he kept a list, and he did this. The list went this way. After they preached on his list, he had it this way. Small God, big God. And if the student preached and he had a small God, Benjamin Warfield would not invest any more time in it. He would not disciple him. If he had a big God, he might have done a sloppy sermon. He was not polished yet. He may have a lot of oratorical problems, but if Warfield got the sense they've got a big God, he said, this guy's worth investing in. And I wonder when people get through hearing us what they say. They've got a small God or a big God. If we're worrying, fretting, griping, complaining, blah, 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 whatever we could be doing, what kind of God do you think people think we really know? Well, to just lay the framework and begin this little adventure as we continue 
in these doctrinal studies, I want to go to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 40. And let's go there. And uh, I'll save you reading the whole chapter. And let me just lead you to verse 9 at the end of the verse. Notice what he says to Israel. He tells the prophets, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And he's going to describe him. But let's get the setting. Let's get the setting. The prophet is talking to a people who have already suffered under Sennacherib. The Assyrian Empire has invaded the northern tribes. They've been in exile and under the heel of Assyria, a brutal people. People who characteristically decapitated all the people they defeated, and they would stack their heads at the entrance of a gate of a city they conquered to send the message, don't mess. We are not messing. They were brutal. They were the Syrians of the day, ruthless. And so the prophet is preaching to people who've been in exile and been under the heel of Assyria. But, but Hezekiah is warned in chapter 39, the Babylonians are coming. You think Assyria was tough? Babylon is coming. Nebuchadnezzar's going to come. He's going to drag you off and change down to Babylon. It's coming. And so the prophet projects nearly 150 years of all that was going to happen to Israel, the, the fires they would go through. And so he begins the book, and the prophet says, comfort, comfort my people. They've been suffering. And the remnant among them that are believers may get to think God is abandoned. He's forgot David. He's forgot his covenant. He's forgot Abraham. The nation is being plunged into suffering because of their idolatry, their waywardness, and their backsliddenness. And so he warns them, comfort my people. My people are suffering. They need a good word. Goes on to tell them in verse 3, prepare the way for the coming of a new ruler, looking all the way to the coming of Christ and the reign of Christ. He said, tell them to prepare their hearts. Another ruler is coming. A Messiah is coming. And so he says, tell them to make every valley raised up, every mountain to flatten. It was like, prepare the way for a king. The monarch is coming. The monarch is coming. And then he says, I want you to give a message in the meantime. And the message is twofold. I want you to tell the people how temporal they are and tell them of how strong their God is. Now watch what he says. Verse 6, cry out. What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. 
know, first of all, that all humanity will be mown down like the grass in the field. Look at little, little tiny Israel. Assyria is killing their women. Assyria is dashing their children against the walls. Assyria, human beings are giving them, giving them the what for. Babylon is going to do the same. And yet God says, oh, Israel, Assyria will be no more. Has anyone ever studied about Assyria? Anybody know where Assyria is on the map? Is that the latest name? You don't even use the name Assyria anymore. Anybody find the, uh, a, a country by the name of Babylon? We had a guy by the name of Saddam Hussein down there. You, you know this. All human beings are coming and passing as quick as the morning grass. You know what would do you all a good do your heart good, is just spend half a day at a cemetery and read the headstones. That's what Carol and I do for an exciting date. <laughs> when we were in South Carolina, we went to a church that was started in 1786. 1786. Presbyterian church out in the country, beautiful white church. And back in the South, so many cemeteries are right next to the church. We went down there when you're 17. Can you imagine one church going on for all 250 years? And we went there, and you'd read the headstones, a, a beloved brother, beloved father. And, I mean, we had people from the 1700s. You went up to the 1800s. You had Civil War people. You had one section that was moving uh, with, like, broken pieces of stone. And we finally found out that a white man, after years, felt like those who had been slaves that attended that church, they had no place to bury the loved ones. They, he bought a piece of this cemetery and dedicated it to the slaves. Their headstones, there were just pieces of rock. There was no big engraving. But they were in this section of this Presbyterian cemetery, you have Christians, and uh, you have this and that, how quick, how quick we bury this woman's brother this Thursday, my neighbor just, his wife just died, you start burying, 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 it's a real quick journey from the cradle to the grave. And he just says, don't be impressed with man. He's only got a short stay anyway. It just, it's going to fade all so quick. And by the time you get the strength to bury them, you start coughing. Because you're next, inevitably. And so it's been. So the prophet says, one thing never changes. The word of the eternal God. What the eternal God has to say, he never has to be updated. He, he never has to worry about being relevant. He doesn't have to be modern. He's eternal. And he said, the word of the Lord. You know, today in church life, 
Are you contemporary? Are you relevant? Are you modern? Are you this? And I just want to ask, are you God-like? Is there anything that's eternal going on around here? The people are fading. All of us are fading. What's eternal? The words of the eternal God. When the heavens and the earth have passed, and why aren't we full of what he said about himself? This is what will last. You won't. You won't. And if you know Christ, that's not too depressing a thought. To be with him is gain. To live is Christ, and to die will be gain. He goes on to say, tell the people, I am a sovereign Lord, in verse 10, and I come with power, and I will rule with a mighty arm. I'm bringing my wages or my reward with me. I'm going to repay everybody their due. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What a beautiful contrast. Verse 10 and 11. 10, he's powerful. He's a sovereign. He's in charge. He consults no one. But you know what? For years, I was not consult. I guess I was not comforted by the idea that God was strong because I figured all of his power was against me. When I did not know Christ, I was talking this week. Tim Valstrom and I were talking about the statement. I said, God is dangerous. And I said, what do you think of that statement? As we talked, I said, well, God is a consuming fire. Is fire dangerous? Well, it just depends. If you're in it, it's rather dangerous. If you're freezing in the north, you better hope you can get some fire. It better be respected because it can dangerously devour you in a minute. And this God, it just depends on what side of his power you're on. Is it for you or is it against you? He's against Assyria. He's against Babylon. He's against the wicked. He's against those who hate his people, who hate his name. You see, me saying God is powerful. Uh, uh, you know what? It's like my neighbor. We were talking about uh, young boys and liking to scrap. And you, you, it's a big thing with young men. Well, I, I've got a hot head. I found out if the guy I was with was bigger, stronger, and tougher, I seemed to have no temper problems. I seem to be able to control it. And God is saying, oh, Israel, your God is sovereign. Your God isn't afraid of Assyria. Your God's not afraid of Babylon. Your God trembles for no man. I am sovereign. I am powerful. And then he says, and by the way, I am the God who's tenderly shepherded you all these years. I shepherded you out of Egypt, and I take care of you. You see, they moved their uh, flocks so much in that land. There's drought. Uh, rain was hard to find at times. They were always looking for green foliage. And so they were on the move quite a bit. Some of our sheep herders, they're in the same field for years. Lots of foliage, lots of grass, no problem. Not in Palestine. 
They moved a lot. And here he says, your powerful God is a tender shepherd that won't move too quick as to leave any behind. Here's the picture. The mama has this new lamb. Time to move the flock. Time to move to greener pastures. Let's go. Can't wait for that lamb, which the predators, the fox, the wolves, they could smell the placenta. They could smell the blood. That lamb was marked to be devoured. Easy prey. Legs are wobbling. No strength to keep up with the flock. And all of a sudden, this big, strong shepherd just picks up that lamb and says, I'll carry you to the next place we feed. What a picture of our God. All powerful, but all tender. His power will be used to carry you and not to destroy you. If you really knew him, you'd want to shout in your heart, you mean I've got this kind of God for me? You've got this kind of God. This is better than anything on TV. The comparison is an insult. Now, he goes on to say, let me tell you about your God. And what he does, he does it by way of comparison. He's going to compare God, and he's going to ask, have you ever seen a God like this? We do this all the time. Uh, A young kid, my dad is bigger, stronger than your dad. The comparison says, if he's if my dad can beat your dad, that's a man's world. Or a guy, hey, a better player, a better team, whoever's the best. Now he says, follow me. Behold your God. Now watch what he says. He asks about six rhetorical questions about God. Listen to what he says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Israel, your God and the hollow of your hand in Hebrews this way. Clench your fists, and whatever's underneath those fingers, this is the way the Hebrews are. Right in there, that's the hollow. Right down in there, and God could say, I can tell you how many gallons are in all the oceans of the world. Got anybody else come up with that kind of data? Keeps on. He says, uh, and with the breadth of my hand, I used to hear my dad and him talk about a so many span, kind of a mule, I guess hand span right there. Right with that, uh, I marked out the heavens. What do you mean? Hubble hasn't measured its whole breadth yet, and you're saying God's hands got the whole universe and all the stellar system, it's just a hand breadth for him. Yes, that's what he's saying who has held the dust of the earth in a basket. Wait, 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 wait. The whole earth, terra firma, dirt, he says, is like a speck of dust in the scales. Little clot of dirt on the basket. I've even weighed the mountains on scales. Have you ever seen the Sierras or the Rockies? I bet you my God's bigger than your God. 
and the hills in the balance. And then he says this question, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Who's instructed God? Who's been his counselor? Uh, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? In other words, there's nothing you could add to him in knowledge. Did you know God has never learned anything? Isn't that amazing? He's never learned anything. He knew it all to start with. He knows more than we will ever know, and he's not gaining in knowledge. No, nobody's ever counted. Well, how did you do all this planning? How did you, how did you plant an eye? How, how could you create a beautiful-looking woman that you want to look twice and at the same time create an octopus? I'm watching Astro Geographic. You ought to see some of those creatures. The same God. I mean, colors, uh, everything, intricate, working, working. I, he said, no one's counseled me. Then he goes on to say, nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're out like dust on the scales. You know, when you're measuring food, if there's dust on the scale, they don't charge you another dollar for the dust. Nothing's moving it. It just keeps on. Oh, he said, oh, Lebanon is, is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Anybody here ever been to Lebanon? If you went to Lebanon, it, it's, uh, it's weird countryside when you get up in those hills because you can see when Saul was chasing David, if he was on the other side on a mountain, it, it's a tough but full of trees, uh, the uh, cedars that built Solomon's temple came from Lebanon. They floated them by the sea, uh, full of forests, full of pasture land, all kinds of livestock. And God said, if you cut every tree down in Lebanon, you couldn't build a fire big enough to approach my word. If you killed every animal you had up north in Lebanon, in dairy land, you can't get an offering that comes close to what my size and worth is. Then, he says, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker cast it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering, precious metals. He selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. And, he, and God is saying, this is what you left me for. You left me for idols. You left me for Baal. You left me for Marduk, the god of Babylon. You left me for uh, Asherah. You left Israel. You ran off with another lover, and it was called idols. Go tell my people she's gone a-whoring. When you read that in the prophets, 
How can a nation act like a whore? It was God's repulsive language that he saw himself as a husband to a nation he called his wife. You, you're sleeping under every high tree. You're with Baal. You're with Marduk. You're with gods that sacrifice your children. You're with gods that worship the moon and the stuff. This is what you've chosen over me. I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going to discipline you harshly because you've betrayed our oath. You betrayed the covenant. I often ask myself, and I ask you, you got any other gods you're running after? Sex, money, pleasure, and the biggest God of all is yourself. I'm my own God. You mean you're in love with what's going to be food for worms? You know, you're, you're grass. You're passing. What are the idols that men and women will go to hell for? What are the idols you'll leave God for? He told Israel in Jeremiah 3, you gave up a fountain of bubbling fresh water for a muddy old cistern on a housetop that cracks and drains and holds no water. Why did you abandon me? You gave up your glory. Always telling these people, there's a remnant among them still that haven't bowed down and he's telling them, don't give me up for idols. Don't bow to anything but to the living God. Don't bow. Let me tell you, say, don't bow in our day to any other God, any other power, any other pleasure. Don't bow. Don't. It will lead you into exile. You will be enslaved even if you're a so-called believer, you will pay. For God will not let you get away with it. He never gives up on his children, even if he has to bring pain. He goes on. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? I sit above the circle of the earth. Isn't that nice? Is that in your Bible? Columbus had to sail to find out the earth was a circle. God knew all the time. He said above the circle, not above the flat earth. God never was flat earth. He always, God knows what he made. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretched out the heavens like a canopy, spread them out like a tent. Princes are going to come to not Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to drive him insane to lead him to myself. Uh, I'm going to reduce rulers to nothing. Think of a Hitler being found in a bunker, already committed suicide, and already killed off Eva, his mistress. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? I ask you. I ask you. Can you find a better God? Can you find a bigger God, Israel? Tell me. Tell me. Give me their credentials. Your idols, you have to nail them down. He says in chapter 46, 
Your, your gods have to be hauled by an ox cart from here to there. You see, the gods of Palestine, they were, they were gods of like Contra Costa County. You might have this god over that county, and then you'd have a god over another. They were regional gods. That's why Jonah was insane to think he could run from God. He's thinking, if I can get out of this county, I can get away from the influence. And God said, oh, Jonah, you know I'm not a regional God. I'm the God at the bottom of the Mediterranean. You can't lock me into geography. That's why it's insane to run from me. The spankings are more severe if you run. Because when you get caught, your daddy is going to make you pay for making him run. <laughs> run to him. Don't run from him. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. I, I wanted to do a little uh, research. How many stars are there in the universe? And so we got this guy here, David Cornrick, an assistant professor at Ithaca College in New York State. He was the founder of the Ask an Astronomer at Cornell University. So he knows a little bit about stars. And there's this whole article. It just keeps going. You get it on Google. And, but he, he gives this summary, summary statement. Cornrick used a very rough, rough estimate that we have 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. How he ever measured that, you know. <laughs> Multiplying that by the Milky Way is what he did. The Milky Way, they estimate there's 100 billion stars. Don't look for that in your checkbook. It, you, you won't come close. But think, 100 billion, what do we have? Our Earth's population, 7 billion. So 100 billion stars, and that's just in Milky Way. But watch. If you take 100 billion and you multiply that by 10 trillion, you come up with one followed by 24 zeros to the 24th power. That's a, a scientific informed big guess on how many stars are out there. Now listen to what the prophet says. God says, I call each one by name. Can you imagine having that many kids? I'd run out of names. <laughs> Look at this. Lift up your eyes and look to the heaven. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one? And the idea is like a general and a, uh, a pass-through. The stars obey him as soldiers. And calls forth each one of them by name. Ten billion names would be a little tough. But ten billion times t uh, ten trillion Other words, this is our God. 
this is our God. He knows this much. He can weigh things. He's, he's incomparable. They just, and, and, uh, and then we say, do you know God? Yeah, I know God. What do you know about him? See, you don't know anybody that doesn't reveal themselves. Have you ever been around a person? You'll hear people say, well, you know what? I've been around them for 10 years. I still don't know them. You know why you don't know them? They don't want you to know them. That's why they don't talk to you. If they wanted you to know, they would tell you. Now, God wanted you to know, so he talked to you. And he told you, and he said, I'll show you creation. I'll give you a, a written revelation, and I'll send my son because I do want you to know I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Well, let's conclude. If he's all this great, why am I having so much pain? Why am I having so many troubles? And notice what he says, verse 27. Let me just change it this way. Why do you, saint of God, on the third row, complain and say, have you hidden yourself from me? Uh, it's great to know you know the star's name, but I think you forgot mine. Jacob, Israel, why are you saying my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by God. You, you don't care. You count stars. You can make milky ways, but you don't realize we've been suffering. We've been going through it. We can't pay the rent. We can't make a rebel child come back. We can't save a marriage. We can't get rid of cancer. We, we can't get a job. Where are you? Where are you, oh God? Have you seen our temple ravaged? Have you seen the wives of our youth molested by Babylonian soldiers? Where in the world are you? I know you done forgot us. You don't visit ER rooms. You don't visit oncology doctors. Where are you? Where are you, Job could say, when I just buried my kids and I'm scraping boils on my body? Where are you? You sure are not a show-up God. You seem to be off schedule. And when you're discouraged and when you suffer, you can talk this way to God. Jeremiah did it. He wept and he argued with God, you've abandoned us, abandoned us, abandoned us. You do not, you're no longer moved by us. I would say this, why should God be? They've left him. They've abandoned him. The nation as a whole are going to be in exile. And look how many years after Babylon they never did have their own country again without a Gentile ruler living in it. Rome ruled over them nearly a 1,000 years. 1948, they finally got statehood, but that's over 2,000 years, nearly 3,000 years. They live with Gentiles ruling over them. They thought God had forgot, and most of them still do, especially since the Holocaust. 
there's more Jewish atheists in Israel and more atheists in Israel per capita than any other country. Our God has forgotten us. He doesn't care. And he knows what they're thinking. And here's his reply. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Yeah, yeah, you just told me. I heard it. But that doesn't do me any good. I'm hurting. Now watch. Now it's going to get personal. Are you, are you looking at the text? Are you awake? Okay, watch. He will not grow tired or weary. Well, good, I sure am. And his understanding no one can fathom. He knows exactly where you are, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. He has complete understanding of your situation. He says something like this. Everything I bring into your life is working for your good. And there's some days you want to say, you've got to be kidding. You don't know what I'm living with. You, that can't be for good. Are you aware? Are you aware? Are you aware? I just got sold to an, an Ishmaelite caravan by my own brothers, and you're telling me this is working for good. Yeah? By the way, on the way down, sing Romans 8, 28, Joseph. It is working for good. Our brothers are really bowing down for me as they made a price to sell me. And then let me get down here, and all of a sudden, where I'm excelling in this household, and the owner comes home and his wife said, I want you to know the Hebrew boy tried to rape me today. When he fled, when he escaped, when he's pure, when he's upright, winds up in jail for about 17 years, and he simply tells the baker and the butler, would you not forget me? No, we won't forget you 17 years later. They unlock his cell, let him out for something he'd never done. Could God have anybody at San Quentin that never did the crime? Are there any Christians in San Quentin? We got a young man in our first service. He'll be at San Quentin the rest of the day because he's a chaplain to him. Could it have worked for good? Did it work for good for Joseph? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I didn't know God's plan was to make me the salvation of the whole nation and that I'd be feeding my old man Jacob into his old age. I never knew there was a plan in all my misery. God has a plan even when you're miserable. Don't you know? God won't get tired. He's that shepherd that carries sheep, and he never gets tired of it. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even young, I want to say the young studs, even young men get tired 
and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Nobody's exempt, but those who hope in the Lord, and the word hope here is a synonym. It's really the Hebrew word hope, trust, wait. There are so different translations. You'll see wait on the Lord, trust in the Lord, hope. So it's all from that same word. But those who hope, those who wait on the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Israel, I've got enough strength to see that you finish well. I've got enough supply to get you through this trial. You know, life life is full of um, quitters. Life is full of quitters. Uh, They begin the Christian life, they bail out. They begin a lot of stuff, they bail out. I was just thinking about this. Let me just illustrate it by musicians. Uh, I gave piano lessons to three of my children. I want all my children to play piano because of my sister and for the love of music. One plays the piano. I gave lessons to all. But then it goes this way, something. Uh, I, I get tired of practicing. Okay. Uh, I don't like the teacher. What's the teacher got to do with whether you learn the lesson? I didn't buy the lesson because you like the teacher. I, I bought the lesson because you need to learn this. But uh, I bailed out. Uh, guitar players, you know, everybody, young guy, everybody wants to play guitar. Let, let me tell you what happens. You, you buy a guitar, and this is what I've seen. You may own it for, uh, well, you may own it for a lifetime and don't play on it for a month. Because what happens is about uh, at the end of the first week, the, the tips of these fingers start hurting. They call it form calluses. It, you, you construction guys, you get them here because you're using a, You used to use a hammer. Now you go poom, 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 you know. It's changed. Uh, but I, I've seen guys... And I'll ask you, how are you doing in your lesson? Man, it hurts. Well, you've only been playing a little while. Playing, it, it hurts. A lot of times when the warriors are playing, I'm running scales. I, I try to pick up the guitar at least once a day because I don't want to lose my calluses. I'm not that good, but I know i got to have calluses. Trumpet players. Bill Bryan said he played his trumpet every day. Had to keep his lip in shape. You see, you, you got to stay in shape to play an instrument. There's a lot of quitters. I wanted to. Why didn't you? There's a lot of quitters in the Christian life. Who has bewitched you that you've gone back and you've went back under law instead of grace? Who? Who? Oh, someone said a, a bad. Then you say the right thing. You get your feelings hurt. Oh, oh okay. Uh, and whatever. This, that. You see, my brother said when he went to work, 
the foreman said, we don't pay guys that sniffle. We pay guys that work. Endure hardness as a good soldier, wimps. That's what he told Timothy. And Timothy was a timid man. You must endure. But how can I continue? How can I finish? I know the drums are going and they shoot off the gun. All the excitement is when the race begins. A lot of folks don't hang around to see who finishes. And so he says, Israel, Israel, all I ask you is to wait on me. And this almighty, powerful God that made the, made the stars, the earth, I'll pour strength into you. Psalms 46, 1, the Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Psalms 46, 1. Or I hear Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the power that comes from the Lord. Let him strengthen you. A second Timothy 2, 1, be strong in the grace that comes from our Lord Jesus. Hang out in an upper room and the same failing men, I promise you, I will give you the power to make you witnesses. God supplies the strength if you'll show up to draw on it. And he said, you draw on my power by trusting waiting, hoping, don't stop it. If you'll wait, he'll replenish you. I've said it often here, and I say it again. I love the line Moody said, the only way a cracked vessel can remain full is remain under the fountain. And we're all cracked. We're all cracked. We're all weak. We're all quitters by nature. If it doesn't go your way, you don't like it, whatever. Why do you think pastors resign every two years? The board works him over. Somebody criticizes them in the church. Somebody makes him go down the road. I have to say, no other pastor you ever get will have the privilege I had of having nobody there when I got there. Her, Hazel, Virginia. Because my dad said, if man puts you in, he can put you out. But if God puts you in, only God can put you out. Where do you get your strength? It's not from pastors' conferences. I'm sorry. It's, it's from people who pray, people who wait, people who trust. That's where the strength of this church is. It's in people who wait on God to keep replenishing weak, straggling sheep and lambs. You can't make it unless he's your power supply. And he says, come to me, Israel. I want to replenish. You will mount up. You will mount up with wings as an eagle. Our Father, you are enough for your people. You got plenty of excess power up there. You got enough power to run a million other universes. And some of us poor sheep wondering, do you have enough to get us through? Behold your God, Israel. Behold your God. And help us in the weeks that we plan to present just that 
brief outline of this great, incomparable, infinite, majestic, magnificent, superlative God delivers from our pygmy thinking and having a small God in our mind. Open up our eyes. Be thou our vision. Let us see a magnificent God that's revealed on the pages of his word. And if there's anyone here struggling, life is burying them, sickness, sorrow, disappointment, too many trips to the graveyard. Oh, Lord, be their comfort, be their strength, be their supply. You are enough to get through the darkest night and to bear the greatest sorrow. You are the strength of your people. Help us, help us not to rely on ourselves, but upon God who gives strength to the weak. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our God is great. God bless you.